Open your Bibles this morning, please, to the book of Romans, chapter number 10. Romans, chapter number 10. Romans 10, verse number 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now, before I begin this morning, I want to be perfectly clear about something. And I want to say this right at the beginning so that you don't misunderstand. I do not believe, as some pastors have suggested, that you ought to throw out your TV. If it's really nice and you're going to throw it away, come and see me. I will take it. And so... So I don't believe that, but some preachers do say, oh, you ought to take it out in the yard and beat it to pieces. Well, if you don't get rid of it, why don't you give it away or sell it or something? It just doesn't make sense to me, but that's the attitude that some have. And I don't think you ought to discontinue your subscription to the newspaper, by the way. I do not believe you ought to quit hunting or fishing or <laughs> necessarily even playing Pokemon, I, you know, if that's your thing. Uh, I don't know of anything sinful about it, but uh, so I'm not suggesting that it's wrong to watch sports or politics. Might be bad for your health, but not anything necessarily wrong about it. Or, you know, I'm not saying anything wrong with watching a good movie. But what I'm saying is that something that we sometimes forget is that there are are things that are much more important than any of these things. There are things that we ought to be more excited about than any of the things that I've just mentioned. And I suspect that most of you here today would agree with what I just said. I'm convinced that most church members you know are uh, in agreement with that statement that there are more important things, and yet at the same time, I'm also concerned that a lot of church members are more concerned about uh, things that do not matter the most. And I say that because their lifestyle proves my point. And uh, it makes me curious. What if most Christians were as excited about winning souls as they are about that's a blank. You can fill in the blank. Think about it. What if you were as excited about winning souls as you are about whatever it is? Whatever, listen, whatever you put in that blank, let me tell you right now, you have your priorities wrong and you are majoring on a minor. If there's something there, and again, I want to emphasize, I think our lifestyle proves that we have got our priorities out of the proper order. It's quiet now because it's the truth and you know it is. 
You see, we're all of the time getting out of balance. And not anything wrong with hunting and fishing and all of those things that I mentioned, but boy, there's something terribly wrong when we're more excited about that and more excited about who wins the World Series or the Super Bowl than we are about who's going to heaven and who's not. So what's the cause of this failure? Why is it that we turn things upside down and all of a sudden we're putting a greater emphasis upon things that are of lesser importance? What caused that failure? Listen, finding and fixing that problem is the solution for a lot of our other problems. One missing ingredient can make a world of difference. That's true if you're, if you're baking a cake and you leave something out, believe me, it's going to be noticeable. And a lot of times we blame our failures on the wrong things. We we preachers are guilty of that all of the time. You know, we try to excuse ourselves a lot of times by saying, well, we need more money, we need a bigger building, we need a finer facility, we need a lovelier location, we need a more cooperative congregation, and, and the list goes on and on. If we can't find something else, we just blame it on the terrible times in which we live. Well, you know, you really can't do anything for the Lord today because we live in these terrible times. And so, you know, we, we just have to roll with the punches and go with the flow and try to make it through. It just makes me sick at my stomach. I, I realize we live in, the, in terrible times. The Bible said that we would. But that doesn't relieve us of our responsibility. I think if we're honest, and I'm going to get to the point now, if we're honest, that missing ingredient is desire. Notice again in verse number 1, Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire. Desire. You know, if, if that's missing in our life, we're in a lot of trouble and we're going to get off on a tangent somewhere and we're going to end up majoring on minors. And the problem is, is some way or another we develop this this habit of just half-heartedly going through the motions. Whereas the Lord tells us that we're to go to the second mile, we, well, we, we get quite content with just going the first mile. And I'm convinced that if if we had the desire that we would see things accomplished that we never dreamed were even possible. I don't think there's any limit to what God can do. Uh, right here on this site, in this church, uh, there's no limit to what God can do. But if, listen, if if we don't care... Why should we expect God to do anything more than what He's done? And the problem is so many times we are more concerned about being happy than we are about being helpful or holy. And that becomes our all-consuming interest that we are happy in life. You and I know a lot of people that have a lot of talent. Wow. They can just overwhelm you with their abilities, but they lack the desire to put it to good use. Well, no one could accuse the Apostle Paul of that. 
Turn back one page or look across the page, depending on your Bible, and notice the first three verses of chapter number 9. And Paul says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Wow. What in the world would cause somebody to get so down in the dumps as that? What in the world could have happened? Did your team lose? Did, did your candidate not get elected? What, what could have happened? Verse 3, For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now think about what he said in chapter 10, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Paul was so deeply concerned, so deeply moved by the fact that that Israel, his people, that these, remember, they are religious people. But their religion is getting in the way, not helping them. Not only are they religious people, but these are people who in reality are the greatest enemies that Paul faced. His own people. And yet he is praying for them and has a desire to see them saved to the extent that he said, I could even wish myself a curse from Christ. In other words, if it would result in them being saved, I'd be willing to be a curse from Christ. By the way, in case you haven't figured it out, that's exactly the attitude Jesus had because he was made a curse for us. Paul is simply saying, I have the same attitude my Savior did. He just realized that he wasn't willing, or wasn't able rather, to to save people through his sacrificial death as Jesus was. But he's expressing his heart's desire. And as he reflected on their spiritual condition, it brought him great grief. Remember, love hurts. If you love someone, you're going to get hurt. It hurts because whenever you love someone, you desire what is best for them. When you think about your loved ones, you want to see them experience God's best. When they are deprived of God's best, then your desire is disappointed, and the result is what? The result is that you grieve as a result of that, you see. Because they're missing out. This is the way that Paul felt. We, we live in a day where love is evidently lacking because we don't seem to be all that concerned about it. And whenever I say we, I'm talking about Christians in general. I realize you might be the exception to the rule. You might stand head and shoulders above Paul. I don't know. I'm not judging you, but I'm telling you based on observation, Christians in general are just not that concerned about whether people are going to hell or not. I've heard some preachers preach about hell, and it seemed like they were kind of happy about it. I even read a statement of one Calvinist this morning. This morning I read it, that God doesn't love everybody. He hates people. Can you imagine that? 
Well, I want to tell you one thing. That's not the God of the Bible. That's not the God that I serve. As a pastor, I think maybe... uh, Maybe more than anything, and as I get older, the one thing I want to do is to be an encourager of God's people. I want to do everything I can to encourage people because I realize that life is difficult. And I want to encourage you. But let me tell you, sometimes it's more important to be an exhorter than it is an encourager. Let me put that in really plain, simple English. Sometimes it's better to kick someone in the seat of the bridges than it is to give them a pat on the back. Because if they're sitting on the stool of do nothing, whittling on the stick of do less, just letting the day go by, watching souls go to hell, they don't need somebody to tell them, you know, to live your best life now. They need somebody to kick the stool out from under them and make them realize that there are things more important than them just being happy about themselves. Whenever I look at this verse, this section... I realize that there is so much that could be said about it. And uh, loving, expository type preaching, uh, you know, you're tempted to to just take the whole thing. But sometimes I think it's better if we look at the small details than it is to look at the big picture. Because you, listen, you can study all about this entire chapter to the, to the point that you can pass an exam, you can win a debate, you could teach a Sunday school class, or you could even outline a sermon, but it would all be worthless without one thing, and that's desire. If there is no desire on our part, to win those that are lost, all of that information is for naught. So this morning, I want to focus in just on that word desire. I want you to, I want you to leave here today realizing how important desire is. In the first place, desire moves us to serve. People who care get involved. Now, listen, I understand that there are folks in nursing homes. They can't be involved in the same way that you and I are involved. They're physically unable to even attend church. And all they can do is to just pray for the church. But that's all they can do. Listen, that's all God expects. But they are involved. And for somebody to say that they really care about lost souls, they really care about the kingdom of God, they really care about the work of Christ and to never get involved in it. Let me tell you, that's a lie. You don't care. If you really care, you're going to be involved. If there's no involvement, it's because there's no concern. In other words, concern moves us to action. Having a desire will drive you to do your duty and not only will it drive you To do your duty, it will be a delight. So the Bible talks about the commandments of the Lord are not grievous. Doing what God wants you to do is a thing that will make you happier than anything else on this earth. 
And when you look around and you see people sitting out there on the periphery, people that are not willing to get involved, you know, look, I, I hate to hurt your feelings, but I'm telling you, it's all because you don't care or you'd get involved in some way. Because having that strong desire that Paul is exemplifying for us, that desire will move you to do something to serve God. Not only that, but desire is the thing that makes for success. I think the Bible proves that. It's recorded in the Scriptures over and over. I, I think about Rachel, and she said, Give me children or else I die. Well, you talk about a wholehearted involvement. I mean, that is it. Give me children or I'm going to die. Jacob said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Moses said, now keep in mind, Moses is talking to the Lord, and he said, blot me out, I pray thee, out of my book. Lord, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm going to be hindered and stopped from, from accomplishing your purpose, just take my life. Blot me out of your book. I think about Esther making that statement. She said, if I perish, I perish. Now, remember... Listen, there was a great need for her to enter into the presence of the king. By the way, uninvited, and not just that, but to go there on behalf of the Jews. And she knows that ordinarily this would be met with execution. How much did she care about those Jewish people that, that were being threatened in mystery? How much did she care? She said, if I perish, I perish. If this is going to cost me my life, I'm willing to, I'm willing to pay it. It's easy for us to talk about how we want to see souls saved, but it's not very often we see that kind of an attitude. Or I think about Ezra when he saw the condition of those around him. It says that he prayed, he confessed, weeping. Nehemiah sees the walls all broken down, his people in disarray, and he understands that their spiritual needs are not being met. And it says, When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed. Well, it doesn't sound like a Baptist church meeting. Huh? Jeremiah said, Oh, that my head were waters and mine eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain. Good night. We're doing everything in our power to not weep. Well, the last thing we want to do is have a crying spell. If we really understood the horrible plight that people are in, I think we'd do a whole lot more crying than what we do. And all through the Bible, we see this, that, that a desire makes for success. You, you don't ever see the failures with that kind of heartfelt desire. And then you look through the history books, and I challenge you to read the lives of those great men and women down through the centuries and People like John Knox who said, give me Scotland or I die. 
In other words, I just can't go on living like this without, without God using me to reach Scotland for Christ. George Whitfield said, if God did not give me souls, I believe I would die. So it makes for success, not only that, but it motivates us to sacrifice. You know, it's one thing in that it moves us to serve, but it motivates us to go beyond mere service and to actually sacrifice. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, verse number 19, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. He does just the opposite of what the average church member does. The average person is trying to find people to serve them to bless them, to help them. And Paul says, I've made myself a servant to everybody. And unto the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might gain the Jews. And to them that are under the law is under the law that I might gain them that are under the law. And to them that are without the law is without the law, being not without law to God, but under the law of Christ. Now notice, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake. You talk about a man who lived a sacrificial life. It was the Apostle Paul. Here is a man who never complained about how much he had to give up for the cause of Christ. A man who gladly sacrificed that he might be able to reach others for Christ. That was the attitude that David Livingston had. He said, I will place no value on anything I have or may possess except in relation to the kingdom of Christ. How many people do you know that have that same attitude? His motto was this, I determined never to stop until I had come to the end and achieved my purpose. Or how about David Brainerd, the great missionary to the American Indian who died at a very early age. And he said in his diary, he said, I cared not where I, where or how I lived or what hardships I endured so that I could but gain souls for Christ while I was asleep. I dreamt of such things, and when I wake, the first thing I thought of was winning souls to Christ. David Brainer is a young man that literally burned out, as it were, for the Lord Jesus Christ, totally devoting himself to the work of trying to win the Indians to Jesus Christ. And he said, I, I, I didn't care how or where I lived. I, I wonder if we were really honest, how many of us could say that? that I, it didn't make me any difference where I lived or how I lived. If I had to live in a little shack somewhere, if that's what it took for me to be able to win others to Christ, that's okay by me. If I had to move on the wrong side of the tracks and to deprive myself of all of the things that other people enjoy, hey, if that's what it takes to win souls, that's all right with me. And I'm telling you, that strong desire is the thing that motivates us not only to get involved, but to make these sacrifices that we're talking about. In the doing of that, desire is a manifestation of our sincerity. 
Have you ever thought about all, how many times the Bible speaks about wholeheartedness? We have to love the Lord our God with what? Our whole heart. You, you see, if it's not our whole heart, then God doesn't accept any of it. He made that clear to Israel there in the book of Malachi in the very first chapter where these people are guilty of just giving God the leftovers of their life. Instead of giving Him the finest out of the flock which He demanded, they'd find some little sheep had already been attacked by the wolves and it, you know it was wounded, it was going to die, and they got to thinking, well, you know, this the, the, the lamb just going to be a sacrifice, going to take its life anyway. Why should I give one that could win the blue prize, you know, or the you know at the county fair uh, instead of doing it? I'll, I'll just give God this, give Him the leftovers. You see. That, that was the way they reasoned about it. And, and God let it be known in no uncertain terms that I don't want anything you've got if you don't give me all that you've got. If you don't give me the best you've got, I refuse to accept what you do give me. And yet, so many times, we treat God like He's a junk dealer giving Him the leftovers of our life instead of the very best. I love what old Vans Havner said many years ago. He said, there are boys selling newspapers and peddlers getting out their wares with more zeal than most of us ever in rescuing souls. And you and I both all know that's the truth. There are people that are so invested in their jobs and making money and making a name for themselves in this world that, that that's all they think about. That's all they really care about. But whenever we have a desire like Paul had there, it'll cause us to to give of ourselves sacrificially. And in doing that, it's a manifestation of how sincere we are about the things of the Lord. Whoa, we can sing about it. I can get up here and preach about, you know, being dedicated to God. But until we really put it in shoe leather and live it out, uh, you know, it, we really haven't manifested anything to the world, have we? Just think for a minute. If the Apostle Paul, let's suppose that the record had been there, that he had just lived a life of ease and luxury caring about nobody but himself, and he could have written about his exploits, you know. And uh, let, let, Let's say he wrote, he wrote a lot about different forms of, uh, of uh, sports, for example. It's all about racing and boxing and stuff. And he could have written all about that, and then, you know, down there is kind of a side note. He could have said, but boy, I tell you what, I really did love to see souls saved. No, listen, nobody would believe that. Boy, whenever you read the record of what this man did and what he went through, there's no denying it. It proves his sincerity. It does something else. Desire has a way of maximizing our support. Let me explain that. We all need help. There's nobody here who is sufficient in and of themselves. We all need help. When it comes to serving God, we need help. We, we can't do it all by ourselves. We need help. And let me tell you, there's nothing in the world more contagious than enthusiasm. 
You see, somebody is really excited about serving God, and all, all of a sudden it gets you excited. Can you imagine being around the Apostle Paul, let's say, follow him around for a week or two? Wow. You talk about making an impact. I'm certain that that would. Here's another thing about desire. It minimizes our shortcomings. You see, most of our failures are not due to a lack of talent or education or let's say funds or, or whatever. Most of us fail because we lack a heartfelt desire in what we're doing. Sometimes we forget the race doesn't always go to the swift. Desire has a way of overcoming a lot of our shortcomings. You see, the best baseball player is not always the most talented baseball player. I think about Pete Rose. Uh, listen, there are a lot of ball players run faster than he could. A lot of players had a lot better arm than Pete did. A lot of people could, you know, hit a, uh, hit longer, had more power than Pete did. But boy, whenever you put that little bundle of energy all together with his desire and enthusiasm for the game, suddenly he becomes something that they only dream about. You see what I'm saying? That's true in everything in life. Because we all have our shortcomings, but if we have that burning desire in our heart to accomplish the will of God for our life, it'll get us through what talent can never do. I think about Bart Starr, the famous quarterback, you know, many years ago for the Packers. Yeah, I'm sorry, I had to say it. Yeah, it's a dirty word to some of you, but Bart Starr, listen, he was not the most talented quarterback that ever lived by far. I can name probably 20 quarterbacks that that probably had more talent than Bart Starr did. But Bart Starr accomplished things that very few quarterbacks ever accomplished. Here's what he said about his relationship with his coach. He said, I wasn't mentally tough before I met Coach Lombardi. I hadn't reached the point to where I, re I, I hadn't reached the point where I refused to accept second best and Coach Lombardi gave me that. He taught me that you must have a flaming desire to win. You've got to, you've got to, it's got to dominate all of your awakening hours. It can't ever wane. It's got to glow in you all the time. And he was right. And that's, that, that is the, the biggest cause of our failure as a Christian. It's not, not that we don't know. We, we already know more than what we're willing to put into practice. It's that some way or another we've lost that desire for the will of God in our lives. Then there's another thing about desire. It has a way of enabling us to maintain our strength. And I say that because of what Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, where he said, I endure all things. Think about that. I endure all things. Boy, I don't mind telling you there have been some times where I, in all honesty, I just felt like, look... I might as well, I might as well quit. I might as well give up. I, 
you know, this just didn't work. And, you know, Lord, you, you've got people that could do my job a lot better than I can. Why in the world am I subjecting myself to this or that or whatever it is? I, I just give up. There wasn't any give up in Paul. He said, I endured all things. How, why did he do that? How did he do that? Because of that deep-seated desire in his heart to do the will of God regardless of the cost, and it gave him strength beyond what he had in and of himself. That's why he said that I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Let me tell you, if Paul could, you can. If you have the same desire. But then more than anything else, desire magnifies our Savior. The reason I say that is because I don't know of anything that so degrades Christianity and makes it repulsive to others than, than the deadness of those who claim to be Christians. Think about it. Why should we expect other people to be interested in something that we're not even excited about? Why would they be interested? I think about the church at Ephesus and there in the letter there in Revelation chapter number 2 and and it gets right down to the very root of the problem. Now they had a lot of good things that could be said about them. Their work, they listen, they were not only working, they were laboring. That means to work to the point of exhaustion. That, that can't be said about all of the members of the church that they're actually involved in working to the point of exhaustion. Now, thank God we've got some that are doing that. They're exhausting themselves physically for the sake of the Lord. But I'm, I'm telling you, uh, that's not true of the majority of people. So they had all of these good qualities, and yet the Lord said, but I've got something against you. Well, what in the world could be wrong with a church like that? You look at all of the good qualities of that church and you think, man, I give them a plus A rating there on top of the list. Best church in town. He said, I've got something against you. He said, you've left your first love. You see, it's one thing to be active in religious stuff. And it, it's another thing to focus in on the things that matter most. And let me, let me tell you what matters most. Jesus matters most. Doing His will matters most. And maybe you're thinking, well, what does He want me to do? Really? You're really going to ask that question? In light of the fact that he's given us the great commission to go into all of the world and to preach the gospel to every creature, and you're saying, hey, well, what does he want me to do? Oh, I, I just want a special calling of God. Hey, he's already called you. Get up, go, and tell the world that you're a Christian, as the song says. Our attitude and our actions ought to prove to the lost that we care deeply about their salvation, which is their deepest need. Now, if you're here today, I realize that we've been talking mainly to and about Christians and the fact that, that we just 
so many times lack that burning desire in our heart to see people saved. And, and so maybe you're thinking, well, what, this whole message hadn't been anything in it for me. Well, yes, there is. The reason Paul is so distraught over, over those people, remember I said these people were his enemies. These people wanted to get rid of him. But the problem with these people was that they were religious. You say, well, it sounds like that'd be a good thing. No, it's not a good thing when you're depending on religion instead of Jesus. And, and so they were working and striving to become righteous, not realizing that the only righteousness acceptable to God is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're spinning their wheels going through life trying to establish their own righteousness. And if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior, you can join every church in the county. And as we often say, you can be baptized so many times that every tadpole knows you by your first name. Look, you can read through your Bible every month of the year. You can give 99% of your income to the church. You can work your fingers to the bone and do, you can sing in the choir. The list goes on. You do whatever you want to do. And, and let me tell you, you're going to die and go to hell if you're not born again. And that ought to break the heart of those of us who know Jesus in the free pardon of sin. To think. And I tell you, there's sometimes I, I sit there and I, I'm, I, this is a confession. I, I feel like a preacher friend of mine who literally got ticked off one day and threw the Bible at a guy sitting there asleep on the pew. I, I don't recommend that, but I've got to tell you, there's sometimes just to, to know that some people just are totally zoned out. Not excited about anything. And it, it, it bothers me that they could be so unconcerned about something that is so very important. I mentioned earlier my dear friend Brother Turk is just at the point of death. And that's why I checked the messages just before I came here. I wanted to find out. Can you imagine... Having a child, let's say the child's seven, eight, nine years old, I, I don't know, somewhere along there, old enough to, that they could be saved. Can you imagine having a child on the sick bed and you go in and the doctor's already giving you the bad news, the child is not going to make it through the day? You can, you put your hand on his brow and there's a cold sweat to the, the pulse is becoming more and more weak. And, and you know it's just now maybe a matter of minutes before your child slips out into eternity. I'm talking about that child. Look, you would have fought a tiger. You would have done anything to keep that child alive and healthy. And there that child is, their life ebbing away. But, but suddenly the child looks up at you and says, Daddy... Daddy, do you, do you really believe those that are 
you, you know, not trusted Jesus, that uh, if, if they don't, that they're really not going to go to heaven and, you know, ask all of the legitimate questions and the daddy would have to answer, yes, son, I believe that. Can you imagine if that child turns around and says, well, daddy, why didn't you warn me? Oh, why, why didn't why didn't you try to tell me, Dad, Daddy? You was at every little league ball game that I played. Daddy, you took me fishing. Daddy, you did this and that. But Daddy, you never really talked to me about Jesus. Now I know that's a make believe story, but listen to me. It illustrates the point that so many times we do everything in our power to raise our children in a way that they can enjoy life and we can enjoy it with them and then we don't do what we ought to do to keep them from going to a devil's hell. You say, well, preacher, what do you hope to accomplish this morning? Because I realize I can't just wave a magic wand and kapoof create desire I, I i can't i can't make that happen but i hope that it'll set in motion something within your heart to make you realize that if we don't have that kind of heartfelt desire we'll never achieve our god-given purpose now i could i can remember and Back when we started that little church there in Fairgrove, Missouri, and, and I, I could talk for hours about it. And so many times I've used that as an example of what God can do when a handful of people will do their very best. And wow, the number of people that were saved, it was absolutely amazing. We That, that, that first year there, we had 52 people. That's one a week, 52 people that had that were saved and baptized and plus others that that joined and what have you and sometimes you look back and you wonder well how could that happen i'm talking about this out in the middle of nowhere on a hillside that started under a brush arbor we didn't have a building till some man that was 85 years old george fowler come out there and we didn't know how to lay block and he he got out there and laid those concrete block and put up a old rattle trap of a building there that leaked and everything else. And we met in there. Man, I want to tell you why. There were souls saved every week and, and someone baptized. It's because if we happened to miss a week, there were people that be without any urging or any, be people lined up praying, oh dear God, what is wrong? What has happened to our church? We went a week without seeing somebody saved. And the problem today is we grow accustomed to not seeing anything happen. And sometimes I think that maybe that's all right with us. Probably every person here has a relative, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor, and somebody that you know that right now they're one heartbeat away from hell. Can you really say, as Paul did, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is that they might be saved? 
I hope the Holy Spirit will do a work in my heart and your heart and, and help us to care as much as we should about those that are lost. And if we do, I'll end where I started. If we do, there's no limit to what God might do here in this very place. Let's all stand. Father, how we thank you for your loving kindness, for your blessings, how we thank you that somebody cared enough about us to tell us about Jesus. How I thank you, Lord, that there was an old-timey preacher that cared about me and preached the plain, simple gospel. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful most of all for Jesus who cared so much that he gave himself that even while I was yet a sinner, that he died on Calvary's cross that I might be saved. And Lord, today, if there's some man, woman, a boy, a girl, someone here today that's never received Christ as their Savior, I pray that you will not give them peace and, until they do so. And Lord, I pray today that for those of us that are Christians, that you will trouble our hearts, break our hearts, do whatever Whatever has to be done, Lord, to help us to have that kind of compassion that we need that would cause us to pray for the lost and to witness to the lost and to do what we can to bring them to Christ. For we ask it all in His precious name.